Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and for your steadfastness and that when we commit ourselves to hear you and open ourselves to your word, you are faithful to speak. So that's what we ask in light of your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, most Christians and you listening know that we are part of a society of Jesus that is going to last forever. Most Christians will acknowledge that because of that, there ought to be something about us that looks distinctly like Jesus and the kingdom we're going to be part of, and that is therefore very different than the society in which we find ourselves, no matter that society. Even people with no faith of any kind know that if a Christian is serious about living with integrity, then he or she ought to resemble this Christ who, for whom Christianity is named. Otherwise, everyone knows, Christian or not, what's the point? There's no difference. Wavering Christians, the, the double-minded, have real trouble with this glaringly obvious element of the faith. It's, it pricks the conscience. The idea that uh, being a Christian ought to look like something, namely like Jesus, uh, and that will mean looking different from cultural norms. It will mean some embarrassment. It will mean loss. It will mean delayed gratification in favor of great long-term gain. The trouble we have and the trouble that all wavering Christians have is there's a good deal of Pharaoh in us. As we look at Exodus 7 and into 8, Pharaoh demonstrates a glaring character quality that, if we're honest, we often find in ourselves, uh, Christians of all kind. And against Pharaoh, we have Moses, who prefigures Christ in this moment, especially as he demonstrates the opposite character quality to Pharaoh. I'm speaking here about a hard heart versus a soft heart, or a self-exalting will versus a yielding will. So let's look first at what happens in this moment, chapters 7 and 8. Last week we looked at Moses delivering the clear command of God, let my people go that they may worship me in the wilderness. That is, the great I am, the Lord above all gods, delivered an order through his prophet Moses. And Pharaoh's response was simple. I don't acknowledge the Lord. I am the sovereign here. And let me show you who has the power of life and death. Make bricks without straw. And everyone then, including Moses, was overwhelmed and admitted Pharaoh had the power. And then the Lord said, Believe me. Put your trust in me now and obey me. Though you've only seen hints of my power, believe me that my name is true. I am the beginning and the end of all, and I will do good to you. Believe me now, before there's ample evidence. And Moses does believe. He has no confidence in himself, but because God gives him grace to believe it. And that was, that's a core piece here. God gives Moses the grace to believe, and so he can. 
He's very unimpressive with it, with his faith, but we know that he does trust God because he acts. He goes back to Pharaoh. Now in chapter 7, the Lord tells Moses what's going to happen as the chapter opens. Moses is going to go in. He's going to command Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. But God says in verses 3 to 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Well, in the rest of our passage for today, we see this plan unfold. 80-year-old Moses, 83-year-old Aaron go to Pharaoh, who demands a sign that these men are truly speaking on behalf of a god, and God had given them a particular sign. Throw down your staff, and it will become a snake. This is great palace drama. You can see them uh, tossing down the, the staff, becomes a snake. Pharaoh then calls in his sorcerers, and they are able to, to do the same with their sorcery. Their staffs become snakes. But Aaron's staff snake swallows up their snakes, demonstrating uh, superiority, demonstrating power. Now, this is a legitimate chance for Pharaoh to recognize he is dealing with a mighty deity. It, it's being communicated. Is he and his sorcerers know that the power they have, their secret arts, is through the influence of supernatural beings? Uh, they, the, the power they have to transform these, these staffs comes from supernatural power. They're not doing illusions. This isn't sleight of hand. Unseen powers are at work. It also seems clear that God is sending a warning to Pharaoh in a language that he could understand. In Egyptian thinking, the serpent, the snake, was the symbol of chaos. In their own mythology, the snake was connected with a force for the unmaking of the world, uh, a return to chaos. So God is warning Pharaoh that if he refuses to listen, then the owner of all things will unleash chaos. And God has now, he's repeatedly spoken in both word and symbol this message, that if you do not obey, there will be judgment. But Pharaoh wouldn't listen. His sorcerers wouldn't listen, and the chaos begins. Moses says in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 7, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. You have refused, so I will show you that I am the great I am. I am the Lord. In other words, God says through Moses, I will show you that I am the sovereign, the owner of all things, the king above all gods. Our passage then uh, moves forward and it covers the first three plagues. First, the Nile is turned to blood, killing all the fish. Second, the Lord brings a plague of frogs that fill the entire land. They're in the palaces, in the houses, they're in the bedrooms, they're in the bread bowls, on everything. Again, God begins with a dire, direct warning, speaking the language of the Egyptians, of symbol. 
the Nile is life for Egypt. Uh, Egypt's a barren desert as, as it is today. The annual flooding of the Nile makes that civilization possible. So God is good on his promise. I will show you that I am the I am. And he, he has life in his hands. In Egyptian mythology, uh, Knum was their ram-headed uh, god of water and therefore god of life and the giver of human life. His consort, his wife, was Heket. Uh, this, she was goddess of fertility and was worshipped through the symbol of the frog. So, uh, god of the Nile, god of water, um, and then goddess of fertility. So, uh, right with these first two plagues, God is speaking the languages of Egypt as he warns them that he is more powerful than their gods, more powerful than their god of life and their god of fertility. It's too, most crucial. He unleashes chaos in these areas that they thought they controlled by worshiping Kanum and Heket. Notice, too, that with these first two plagues, the sorcerers who are in touch with these deities are able to mimic the plague. Uh, they can turn some quantity of water into blood. They can call forth frogs. But with the third plague, gnats, they, they are not able to turn dust into gnats. Now, with the third plague, God turns the dust of Egypt into literally, what is the text says, tiny flying things. Um, it, it may be gnats, it may be mosquitoes, but just imagine a numberless swarm of tiny buzzing insects covering everything and everyone. Now, there, there are many reports uh, coming from especially the Amazon region, of people losing their minds as uh, clouds of whirring mosquitoes descend and there's no escaping them. It's really a horrible thought, <laughs> just being overwhelmed by biting insects. And it's here that the Egyptian sorcerers acknowledge this is the finger of God. In other words, this is legitimate. These warnings are real. These guys are truly speaking on behalf of a God. They're not just making use of some demonic power for their own self-interest. They are messengers. So that's what's happening in this moment. God commands, it is ignored, and so as He promised, He has brought increasing levels of chaos and destruction. There are two primary themes running through this moment. The first is that the Lord, the great I am, is sovereign over all. When he commands, when he begins to move, there is no resisting him. Resistance against him is futile. There's no power in the seen or the unseen, in the heavens or the earth, that can withstand him. God will do what he has set out to do. And in this case, he has commanded that his people be set free to go into the wilderness to worship him. I mean, notice at this point, he hasn't commanded that they be freed from slavery, just that they be allowed to go into the wilderness to worship him. 
He has told Moses and through Moses, the elders of Israel, uh, what his ultimate plan is, what is going to happen. But the only command to Pharaoh is to obey him in this matter of allowing them to worship him. Being Lord above all, being outside of time, he knows how this will all unfold. But his, his plans unfold through human actors, through human decisions. So the first theme is that the sovereign Lord knows and will accomplish his plans. But this brings us to the second theme, the hardening of heart. Now, even before Moses was sent, um, uh, when he was back in Sinai in chapter 4, God told Moses that he would harden Pharaoh's heart in order that God would be known and glorified as the Lord over all. Who he is would be known, not just to Israel, but to all the nations. So in this overarching sovereign plan of God, he is going to deliver his people and establish a covenant relationship with them. But in the process, he's going to show for all time that he is above all gods and cannot be resisted, even by the most powerful nation and its gods. And part of that plan includes the hardening of a heart. Let's look at this theme more closely and what is meant by this hardening. So although God has said he will harden Pharaoh's heart, through the first six plagues, it's Pharaoh who hardens his own heart. So in our passage, what we see is that Pharaoh, uh, has he's initially refused to acknowledge the Lord as Lord. And then he doubles down. He hardens his heart. This is a metaphor, right? It's not that the, the blood-pumping organ inside Pharaoh calcifies and becomes like a rock. It's a metaphor for the will. Pharaoh sets his will against God's will. He sets his will as king against God's commands. It goes back to his claim. And who is the Lord that I should obey him? God is commanding that he yield, that he align his will with the will of the owner of all things. God never denies Pharaoh rule over Egypt, authority within his own bounds, but he has given a command and he must be obeyed. But it is its yielding, its submission that Pharaoh simply will not do. Eventually, after Pharaoh has refused to acknowledge seven signs of God's authority, seven signs that God gives Pharaoh over to his will. What I mean is he confirms Pharaoh's will. He confirms Pharaoh in his willed resistance against God's rule. The metaphor is that he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, that in accordance with how Pharaoh has chosen. We can imagine, we can imagine Pharaoh having run down uh, a steep path towards destruction with God shouting at him to turn around, seven times shouting at him, turn around. But eventually 
God stops shouting, and Pharaoh can't turn around. God gives him to that path. Yes, God knew this would happen all along. He knew it would happen. Yes, he knew he would use Pharaoh's decisions for his good plans for the world. He simply gave Pharaoh what Pharaoh demanded to have his own way. And he used that for his own plans. Pharaoh is a universal. He's a type, a figure. There, there's something of what he does that's in all of us. It's the fallen human nature that sets its will against God and His will. It's that tendency in us that's in all of us because it's in our flesh. It's in the fallen stuff. It's this hardness of heart that predominates or it's the ruling impulse in those who are rejecting Christ Jesus as Lord, a non-Christian. So like Moses, uh, like Moses was speaking for God, Jesus was God speaking for God, acting as God, providing deliverance for all mankind. He offers forgiveness. He offers full embrace for all who will yield to him and simply accept him as the owner and the ruler of all, as their Lord. But the default position for a fallen human being is Pharaoh's position, to refuse to acknowledge the lordship of God. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? What has the Lord done for me? How has he shown that he has authority in my life? Why should I yield to the Lord? That is the default position of fallen nature. Well, just as Pharaoh has a willingness to believe the, the shallow deceptions of the sorcerers in the face of overwhelming evidence of God's power, a person who sets his will against God's authority is willing to believe uh, anything other than that Jesus made the world, is willing to believe anything other than that Jesus is redeeming his world. So rather than accept a creator, rather than accept a God overall, a hard heart will believe that this exceedingly complex creation rose spontaneously and developed against actually impossible odds and obstacles. Rather than accept the very obvious need of dark human nature, the obvious need for the world to be redeemed, the hard heart puts hope in dying, perishing goals. Dying, perishing ends. But we have to admit, the hardening Pharaoh heart is in Christians too. We set our wills against God when there's something that we want or there's a way that we want the world to be, that we insist the world is, but God has said otherwise. Let me caution you. Do not long harden your heart in this way. Do not foolishly set your will against the revealed design and plan of God. You cannot win that contest. You will not win that contest. If you set your heart against the will of God, against the plans and design of God, it will lead to destruction for you. It's not for your good. 
When you hear the Lord say, this is the way, walk in it, it is perilous to set your will against him. If you run too far down that path, down a dark, slippery way, you may not be able to turn back. Pharaoh is a warning here. To choose a hard heart towards the word of God has a hardening, stonying effect. Against a Pharaoh heart, choose a soft, Jesus-like heart. Jesus was the complete, perfect human. The second Adam. And in response to the Father's will, he said, Not my will, but yours be done. Not what would be pleasant. Not what would bring short-term gain. But what would be in accord with the big plan. The plan that the owner knows. Jesus was clear, I do nothing but what the Father says. And I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So as we are in Christ, it is ours to let this character of Christ be formed in us, to be submissive, to be yielding to the ways of God. And it, there is a joyful part to this. You don't have to be sheepish about choosing to align with God. It's good. To align with God who's bigger than our short-sightedness, bigger than our, the material, bodily-driven culture that we live in. So we can confidently choose higher things and say so. No, I am out of step with my society. I look like a dinosaur. I, I am strange here. And we can boldly state, I don't understand everything, but I choose to align with God's word because it's what God has said. Jesus fully aligned with the revelation of God in the Old Testament. Let's fully align with Jesus. So I'm saying simply this, Christian, be a Christian. Let the will of God rule in you. This will be for your peace. What makes Christians distinct what is the marker of Christians is submission to the rule of Christ. We know that rule through the word he has spoken and his spirit in us resonates with the word he has spoken. So let that word fill you and yield to him rather than hardening your heart, which is in the image of Adam, which is in the image of Pharaoh and the fallen nature. Father in heaven, I pray that the believers who hear would joyfully choose to align with your will. And where it's hard would bring that difficulty to you and yield it up. And if uh, any who don't know you are listening, I pray that you would give them the grace Give them, uh, give them the, your message to know that they can yield to you and you will gladly accept them, gladly fold them into your kingdom and grant them your spirit to help them align with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.